God Network News. Where we give you a new perspective. On events happening in our world today. This is GNN. This is God Network News, Episode 18. Welcome, GNN fans, to another episode of God Network News, the podcast that tells you what God's doing around the world. Not what CNN tells you, but what GNN tells you is going on in the world. If you're tired of listening to all of that crisis network news and you want to hear what God's doing, well, give us a listen. On this episode of GNN, we're going to be listening to a special presentation that was produced for the Lausanne Conference on World Evangelization that was held in Malaysia. And this presentation was on the state of world mission. Yeah, the state of world mission. So this is a great presentation with the latest statistics to tell us what is really left to be done in world mission. Uh, so let's have a listen to that. Uh, before we do, I'd like to apologize for uh, some of the so-called pod fading that's been happening. I've been kind of sick uh, for about a month with the flu, and just now getting better, and uh, so the voice quality is back to normal. Uh, so I just want to apologize for uh, the lateness and the delay in our uh, most recent uh, episode. So let's have a listen to this really awesome presentation on World Mission. Mark Hornshaw. I'm also on the program planning team with Marcel and some of the other guys. We've been working on this um, for the last two years. And uh, tonight's session is called The State of the Gospel. And um, I'll just tell you a bit about who I am. I'm um, from Sydney, Australia, with Robin Clayton here. And I'm like a mirror image, a southern hemisphere mirror image of Michael O. Because I've also got that how old is that guy thing happening. But I just hope that when I'm 65, I look half as good as Paul Stanley and I'll be happy because <laughs> he's in pretty good shape. So my wife and I have just celebrated our ninth wedding anniversary. We've also got four kids, but ours are all four boys rather than, rather than girls. That's why we're a mirror image family, you see. I might not have Michael's um, education or, or way with words, but I'll, I'll do my best here tonight. And I serve the Lord in the business world as a managing director and I... I come from a church that prays daily, and I've been in the, the same local church for the last 20 years. But tonight we're going to be informed about where we're up to in world evangelization, and we're going to respond to that in prayer. It's a big prayer meeting tonight. There's no other session in this gathering that's going to be like this, but a lot of people have been asking to be better informed about um, the state of the gospel. So we know that our Saviour's final command is to go and make disciples of all the nations. And we know that that command wasn't to one or two, but to all disciples, even us as disciples of Jesus. And we know that there are, there are many parts, but one body of Christ from, Ephesians, from 1 Corinthians 12. Thank God that the commission isn't left to just one person or ministry or church, but that we do have brothers and sisters around the world partnering, working together, the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. 
says that so succinctly and so well. But as we work away ministering in the place that God's called us to, day after day, week after week, year after year, we need to sometimes just take encouragement to know that there are things happening elsewhere, that our brothers and sisters are also hard at work, and that the world is changing, the gospel is moving. Let me put it to you this way. Um, because I like to, I'm a, a managing director of a company and I like to see the big picture. It doesn't matter what I do day to day as long as I know how it fits. If you can relate to that, then you'll relate to this session. But um, just to make it easy for you, let's um, just paint a picture here. Imagine that the, that the work of the kingdom, rather than reaching lost souls, imagine that it was cleaning, scrubbing, mopping, just for a minute. And imagine that the whole world was this hotel. And your job is to clean, mop, scrub, just your room in the hotel. And you're to do that every day until Jesus comes. So you've got to mop the floor, clean the walls, clean the toilet. In Australia, we call it the dunny. The dunny is like a national icon in Australia. That's why it's called the land down under. Nothing to do with geography at all. But just imagine that you're passionate about cleaning. Every day you get up, think, where's that mop? Where's that scrubbing brush? Because you just love cleaning. But the trouble is the door is shut in your room. So you don't really know about the rest of the hotel. Now, how long would your motivation keep up for? A week, a day, a year? What if just once in a while you got to come out of your room, have a tour of the rest of the hotel, see your brothers and sisters cleaning their rooms, washing the dishes... Uh, sweeping the paths outside. You got to see some of the rooms that were, that, were, that were left dirty because no one had found a way to get in there and, th and there's a few people looking for a window to get in and clean it too. Wouldn't you take more encouragement when you go back to your room that night to, to press on with the cleaning and scrubbing, knowing what else is happening? Well, in the short time that we have, that's what we're trying to achieve tonight, to give us that bigger picture. Where is the gospel up? Where is the gospel moving? And where's it taken root? or where the ground is still dry? And where is the church powering on, and where is it neglecting um, people that God loves? And who are the missionaries today, and how are we interrelated to one another? So we'll be having a report that will give us a lot of those facts tonight. And um, we're going we're gonna to hear some real-life stories as well, because we don't want this to be just um, information for the sake of it, you know? Um, my hope and prayer is that this bigger picture will give us um, that motivation and that encouragement to work in our smaller picture world where God's called us to. And also to motivate us to pray, and we're going to pray. My second hope is that we as the next generation of leaders in the body of Christ will start to ask for and receive the Lord's direction as to what he wants us to do differently in this coming century. How else can we make a difference? So I want to ask for your help tonight. If you would, I'd like to encourage you to take out your notebook. Many people have already got it there. It's good to see. And I want you to take notes of what Jason, who's, who's going to come up and present, of what he says. Because I can't. there's so much information here that I can't give you three simple prayer points. The Lord cares for everybody in this world. He knows them by name. But let's try to listen, not only to the facts, but what the Lord is saying through those facts so that we can target our praying more effectively, more sharply. Look for the trends. Look for what's uplifting or what's sobering to you. Take note of the things that really impress you, because they're going to be our active prayer points in the last part of this session. Can you do that?
That's great. Well, before we hear that report, we just wanted to, um, to make this a, a bit more alive for, for some of us. And it's, it's an honour to welcome some brothers and sisters from mainland China tonight, from the house churches of China. Now, for this next section, yeah, do give them a clap. But for this next section, this, the, our brothers and sisters have asked for strictly no photography. Is that okay? That would be great. So my life has been tremendously impacted by the Chinese house church on four visits there. And I am so, um, so privileged that we've got these guys with us. Because mainland Chinese um, church represents a large portion of the body of Christ. But unfortunately, we've missed out on having them at international gatherings for so long, right? So this gathering is one of the first that I've seen, or the first that I've seen, where their numbers are close to proportional. Isn't that, isn't that a privilege? Yeah. So I wanted to take time to listen to their heart, because, because for so long we haven't had them with us. We've talked about them from a distance, and we can sometimes tend to romanticize about the Chinese church and assume things. We hear about the Back to Jerusalem vision and we think, wow, that's great, that must be roaring ahead. Um, but what I've tried to do this week is just spend as much time as possible. Please, no photos. I've tried to spend as much time as possible just hanging out with these guys and just talking, listening and trying to, trying to pick up their heart, hearing their needs and struggles. So firstly, welcome here to Candy. Candy is the pastor of an underground church in Harbin, which is in northern China right up near the far eastern Russia. She has an incredible heart for the people of her city and the students in the University of Harbin. Candy Nihao. Hello. 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 Can you hold that for her? Yeah. Uh, thank you. Oh, she can hold it? Wonderful. So Candy, please tell us, just give us a picture of what your church looks like, how it grows, and, um, and, and just who the people are in your church. Yeah. Our church, uh, in one word, is young church, um, because our church started from 1998 till now, just eight years old, so it's very young. And our church members, 60 or 70 percentage, the uh, the students, so they are very young. The age is very young. Uh, so they just uh, share the gospel to their friends, roommates, or classmates. They bring their friends to mm -hmm. church. And Candy, what sort of um, building or environment do you meet in? Yeah, we rent a room, of, a, a room of basement. Uh, a basement? Yeah. So it really is an underground church. <laughs> so it's yeah. true, everybody. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that was one, one thing that wasn't an assumption. That's true. In more ways than one. And um, tell us, Candy, do you have pressure or desire to, to register with the government? What's uh, the reality of that? A little pressure, but till now we don't want to register. And, and tell me, just um, if you can, what are the needs of your church in order to grow further? Uh, yeah, um, we need, and of course our church is very small room, and there's... Uh, 70 people together, and uh, there's very clouded. And uh, also, we have uh, we divided into nine groups. They have nine group leaders. Mm -hmm. Now we plan to have uh, start another um, 
another church, so we need full-time serving uh, co-workers. So we need the leadership training. Leadership uh, training. Yes. To be able to, to, to release more people as pastors in yes. their own right. Yes. Wow. Thank you, Candy. The next person we're, we're going to talk to is Jet Lee. And, yeah. Thank you. Uh, hey, I'm not the guy for uh, the movie star, but I'm Jet for <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes. And as I've, as I've um, talked with Jet Lee uh, during this week, what really impresses me is his vision for the future. And, yes. um, and he's from a church in the capital of China, in Beijing. Jet Li, can you tell us what's, what's the vision of you and your church? Okay, uh, since my name is Jet, you know Jet can fly everywhere. <laughs> so my, I, I have the vision to fly to some countries so that I can be a missionary. But uh, you know, if Jet wants to fly, it must be equipped with uh, something. For example, oil. So I want to be a pastor to be equipped so that I can be a competent missionary in the, in the long term. Mm -hmm. This is my vision, and uh, I really hope it will come true. And as to my church, uh, I can uh, share that uh, we have a long-term vision to evangelize overseas. Um, I thank you. Praise God. Tell, tell us, what, what's um, the church's strategy in order to achieve that vision, okay. the long-term vision? Yeah. Uh, since uh, it's a very big picture, we divided it into three stages. The first is that uh, we, should, we will focus on uh, uh, building up a whole church. You know, I like the word whole very much, since it does not... It, it, it not only means uh, unite, undivided church, but also it means healthy, sound church. Mm. Yeah. T tell uh, us about the, the current day-to-day -day needs of your church in Beijing. Okay. Um, as to our needs uh, in Beijing church, since we are young, we need to, uh, to disciple our uh, young believers and uh, we really uh, are in desperate need to train the full-time uh, leaders so that they can, uh, can, they can lead such young uh, church to be a whole church so that we can send out missionaries. Jedley, mm. I might have cut you off there. Was there something else you were going to say to us about your strategy? Strategy? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've, no, I've mentioned the first strategy, the first stage of the uh, to plant church, yeah. I last day I saw the newspapers that uh, the first two uh, two uh, priorities in world evangelization is uh, about uh, church planting, and we do believe that uh, to carry out evangelization locally, uh, for more uh, in the advanced. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Further, uh, to plant local church is uh, uh, more efficient. So, uh, the second st stage of our church's vision is to build up local church uh, in other cities in mainland China. And uh, after we have uh, built up local churches, 
That means we have sent out uh, pastors as missionaries, so they can uh, uh, gain many experiences. And after that, we will send out missionaries to other countries. Sounds and, scriptural, doesn't it? Yeah, that's our picture. Thank you, Jitley. And lastly, Daniel. Give Daniel a hand. Now, Daniel, peace to you from the Lord. Yeah, Daniel has the privilege of being able to travel around to um to to various different churches in China. So he has a a, a bit more understanding of um of the broader needs of the Chinese house church. Uh, Daniel, as you do that, what do you see as as the most common needs of house church leaders? First of all, I want to thank God for the privilege of traveling over China to meet up with the men and women of God. Uh, and uh, as I travel and I talk with the leaders, and uh, I do find some common needs. First of all, Bibles, it may surprise you. Uh, you know, Bibles and uh, Christian literatures, uh, such as uh, gospel uh, tracts, and uh, also like uh, study materials and uh, reference tools. Uh, secondly, we find uh, the need for the theological reflection. Uh, because of the, uh, you know, the short history of uh, house churches and uh, the weak, uh, uh, you know, the weakness in trainings, so they need the theological ref- reflection in relation to church and the society. Uh, so we do f- this, of course, leads to the need for theological training and also leadership development. Mm-hmm. Uh, thirdly, I do find the need uh, for the understanding of uh, joint effort in evangelism and uh, world missions, uh, also in social concern, these areas. Mm. Yeah. So are the churches you visit still receiving Bibles from the outside brought into China, or, or are they producing them in China? Actually, both. Both. <laughs> yeah, Bibles are vol- uh, available in China, but uh, the supply is not uh, sufficient to meet the fast-growing church in China. And uh, the, need, the need for the Bible is uh, great. I'm surprised that many times they ask me for the regular Bibles, particularly they ask for the study uh, Bibles, mm. which enables the itinerary pastors to travel around with the study tools. For many of the rural pastors, probably the study Bible is the only tool they possess or, you know, or to, can travel with. Mm. Yeah. And one last question. Can you try and encapsulate what the Chinese church would want to say to the rest of us as the global church? Well, dear brothers and sisters, we are one body in, the, in Christ, right? <laughs> so we do want to invite you uh, to, and encourage you to assist us, uh, Chinese believers, to take the gospel of Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ to China and to the whole world particularly in the area of cross-cultural training and also partnership in the mission field. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome just to have them with us? Just hang out with these guys. It's, it's such a privilege. Another privilege and pleasure is to introduce two fellow younger leaders, um, Jason Mandrick and Justin Long. Jason is going to do a presentation tonight. Jason's the co-author of Operation World. He works for Worldwide Evangelization for Christ, known as WEC, in the UK. 
Justin Long isn't going to speak, but he's um, put in a lot of work into preparing this, this um, presentation with us. Um, Justin uses internet technology. Um, when, when cyberspace was invented, he was one of the first people to move in. Uh, and um, so he uses that to mobilize, um, to, to resource and to mobilize missions around the world. Um, he produces the Momentum magazine, he manages strategicnetwork.org, and he was a, um, an associate editor of the World Christian Encyclopedia. So I had to, I had to really um, put the pressure on this guy to come up with the platform just so we can prove that he's a real person, you know? <laughs> Normally he just hides behind cyberspace. But you've probably seen his name, so here is living proof that he exists. <laughs> and, um, but both these guys are not only knowledgeable, um, but have been willing to work with us really hard on this for many months. And I really appreciate them both for it. Um, so um, Jason's now going to take us through the presentation. Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you, everyone. I'm just going to quickly go through this. As Mark's already said, uh, who I serve with and what I do. What we really want to talk about... Oh, we're doing a Ramez repeat here. <laughs> there we go. The state of the gospel. Well, my opinion is that the gospel is just fine. <laughs> because... The gospel is eternal, the gospel is unchanging, the gospel is powerful, the gospel is the work of God, it's not the work of our hands. Amen. And God is sovereign, God is omnipotent, and God is in control of this situation. So the state of the gospel is in God's hands, and therefore it's just fine. Okay, thank you, good night. <laughs> but the reality on the ground is that although this is an amazing gathering, there are billions of people in the world from thousands of different people groups who have never had the chance to do what we have done tonight, and that is worship the Lord Jesus, or even to hear about Him in a meaningful way. And that is what we're going to look at and talk about and bring to the Lord in prayer this evening. Please bear with us. There we go. So we're going to start just looking at where we are now and the reality that Christianity is truly a global faith as it has never been before. And there we see just the majority religion on the broadest basis of every country in the world. And you can see that Christianity is not a Western phenomenon. In fact, it reaches right across the globe into parts of Latin America, into Africa, and even into Asia as well, where we have the Philippines, the only country in Asia that has a majority Christian population. Christianity, in terms of population, is also spread throughout the world. Every dot you see on the screen here represents 50,000 people. And that is the Christian world before you. And you can see that they're spread all the way from east to west, from north to south, wherever human beings live. When you compare this with other major world religions, you can see that the spread is much less. And even though these phases are around the world in varying capacities, you can see population-wise, there's just no comparison. Christianity 
is truly a global faith. You know, the amazing thing is that probably at this very moment in time right now, I'm, in, I'm standing in a better spot to testify to that truth than any other person in the world because of what I see here before me. Believers from every continent, from over 110 countries, worshiping the Lord together. So we can attest to the fact that our faith in Jesus has truly spread throughout the earth. This talks about growth. And you can see that the world's population growth and Christianity as a whole are more or less the same. Interesting, a hundred years ago, 33% of the world's population said that they were Christians. Today, less than 33, 32.6% of the world's population says that they're Christians. That is not much change, in fact a negative change over one century. And you can see what is the fastest growing religion in the world today, but I also have good news for you. And that is that evangelical Christians are the fastest growing religious movement in the world today. We are growing at more than double of the closest religion and more than triple of the world's population growth rate. A long way to go, but encouraging news that the Lord is working in amazing ways today. And just because of other slides that are coming up, I want to clarify this word. It's important to understand. When I say evangelical, this is what I mean, very simply. I mean people who emphasize the following. Jesus as the sole source of salvation through faith in him. A personal faith and conversion with regeneration by the Holy Spirit. A recognition of the inspired word of God as the final basis for faith and holy living. And a commitment to biblical witness, evangelism, and mission that brings others to a meaningful faith in Christ. So when I say evangelical, that's what I mean, just so you know. Now if we look a little bit further, we can see that throughout the world... In many, many cultures, not all, in every continent, there are incredibly diverse expressions in the body of Christ. The buildings that we enter, the ways that we portray Jesus, the style of worship that we have, the way that we pray, the people that we gather with, the size of the gatherings, the liturgy that we share. All of these things point to incredibly diverse body of Christ. And we can go on. Sometimes unlikely buildings and unlikely places. Sometimes people practicing their faith in Jesus in ways that we would never have considered. And I'm grateful for the video that we saw last night that points to that fact. The body of Jesus Christ exists in every nation of the world today. This is almost the first time ever that we can say that. And so we can be thankful to God that he is truly at work. There's not a nation on earth where there are not followers of Jesus Christ. In some cases, they are secret believers or underground, but they are there. Now, to get a little bit more specific, there's the Christian population in the world today. As I said, there are many who have not heard the gospel. And that is where you see them. Again, 50,000 represented by one dot. And you can see that they don't intersect very much, do they? These massive concentrations of population who have never heard the gospel. And that is where they live. And that, of course, is where we need to go. That is how the challenge lies before us. 
And there you can see the majority of populations in those countries are often untouched by the gospel. Now I want to break it down and, uh, and look at two different pictures. The first picture about where we are now in a more specific sense is the Western church. And I just chose to use this term. There's many terms. And by this, I mean Europe, North America, and the, the Pacific region. And what we're experiencing right now is the, the culmination or the end of almost 2,000 years of history in more or less a Western church. The, the early fathers that we often identify, the great reformers, the founders and, and icons of the modern missionary movement. These are people who we know People who, by and large, came from Western cultures and Western civilizations. But the reality is that the West today is in significant decline when we talk about global Christianity. In the last hundred years, you can see that transition. How the majority world, Latin America, Asia, and Africa, has suddenly become the majority Christian world as well. And the influence, particularly of Europe, within global Christendom has declined from about 70% to around 20% just in a 100 years. And of course, this presents a great challenge to us. It also presents a challenge in terms of the quality of faith. Only 3% of European Christians would call themselves evangelical in faith, in great contrast to many of the other continents where evangelicals are a huge proportion of all people who call themselves Christians. In Europe particularly, we see often a very desperate situation. About 20 countries in Europe are less than 1% evangelical, and of those, several are less than 0.1%. Less than one out of a thousand people who believed in the same way that we believe here. And so we need to talk today about a post-Christian Europe. The worldview, the values, the way that societies are functioning and structured are really in a post-Christian state. In fact, if you want to be more specific, you could talk about an anti-Christian Europe. And that might sound a bit harsh, but I think of, let's get, just give one example, um, a man named Rocco Buttiglione, I hope I pronounced it right, he was nominated and, and favored for the position of the commissioner of the European Union. He was perfectly capable in all ways to fulfill that role. When it was discovered that as a traditional Catholic, he was opposed to homosexuality. Because of that, certain political and lobby groups hounded him and used the media to force him out of that position that he otherwise would have had. Which, of course, didn't affect his ability to do his job at all, but you can begin to see the values and worldviews that are beginning to assert themselves, particularly in Europe, but generally in the West. However, it's not all a dark picture. The reality is that today we're seeing a reformation Within the European church, we're seeing all kinds of new expressions of church in the West. Relevant and energetic, dynamic expressions in the post-modern church, the post-denominational church, the post-structural church, house churches, charismatic renewal within the tradition, traditional confessions of the Christian faith, local focus on ministry, house churches, mega churches, organic liquid churches. An encouraging time, even in the midst of such a great challenge, we see Europe beginning to get hold of the fact that Jesus is relevant, not just for all cultures, but also for all generations. 
So it's an exciting and encouraging time for Europe. One interesting tidbit, just a little factoid for you. In Germany alone, there are 80,000 foreign language Christian congregations. How about that, huh? 80,000. So you can begin to see that God is at work in all kinds of unprecedented ways, including bringing the world into Europe in order that they can hopefully either encounter the gospel or, in fact, share the gospel. Now let's talk about the majority. And in fact, it is indeed a majority. Interesting, if we go back to kind of the earlier phases of the the missionary movement, we see in 1887 this funny little chart here where it talks about all the major uh, elements of the Christian faith. It talks about the other world religions. In a very politically incorrect sense, it puts all of the non-monotheistic religions into the category heathen, wouldn't be popular term today. And then out of that, just three million converts from about a hundred years of the, the Protestant missionary movement. Three million out of billions of souls at that time. Only three million in all of the majority world. Now, today we can see that picture has drastically changed and praise God for that. We can see today in terms of just evangelicals alone, The amazing growth in Africa, the amazing growth in Asia and Latin America, and the the proportional decline in North America and in Europe as well. And some people say this is maybe a, a problem. I say praise God for this because it finally begins to reflect the reality of the populations of the world and it finally begins to reflect God's heart for all of the peoples of the world. So I think this is the most exciting possible time to be a Christian. Not just in terms of Christian faith generally, not just in terms of evangelical faith, but even in terms of missionaries. We see today the majority world is sending out as many cross-cultural missionaries as is the West. Mission activity is no longer a West to East activity. We can't think of this concept of missions as cultural imperialism of white people forcing the Christian message on everyone else because that simply is no longer the case. And praise God for that as well. We're beginning to see mission not as one place to the rest, but as everywhere to everywhere as God calls each person and each church into its own specific role and calling within the Great Commission. And again, I say praise God for that. But not just in terms of church, Not just in terms of mission, but even in terms of the quality, shall we say, or the effectiveness of sending missions. We can see God at work in the majority world. Can anyone tell me which country you think is the most effective mission-sending country in the world? Korea. Good guess. Anyone else? Philippines. Norway. All good guesses for good reasons. I, I think we could sit here a long time before someone finally... Oh, wrong slide. We'll just skip this. Never mind. This is just showing the growth up to 70%. Here we go. Mongolia. That's right. I should have made a few bets and I'd be a richer man right now. Look at those 10 countries. Now, we're talking only about Protestants, Anglicans, and independents here. I didn't want to include the other confessions of Christian faith. But these are mostly non-Western countries, majority world countries. And what I find the most exciting about this picture here is the fact that, number one, most of these countries are not wealthy nations. 
They are not rich and their people survive on much less than most of us survive on. Number two, they are not countries with massive Christian majorities. In most cases, evangelicals or even Christians in general are a small minority of the population. And finally, these are not countries with a thousand or 1900 years of Christian history. In most of the countries listed here, or many of them, believers are by and large first generation believers or second generation. And yet they're the most effective at sending missionaries. Now, if Mongolia can send one missionary for every 222 believers, none of our countries have an excuse, do we? If they can do that, then surely we can do that. And in fact, I, I think that it shames many of our wealthy and well-resourced countries that we cannot even send a tenth as effectively as what some of these countries are sending. So God is at work in amazing ways. And so we look at some of the amazing mission movements that are emerging today. How many Latinos do we have in the room tonight? Can we hear you? God is using the Latin culture and the Latin spirit to bring the gospel to amazing places. Places that have not received the gospel before. You can see the gift, not just of Brazil, but many other nations, the gift of football that he has given them, which opens the doors to receive a warm welcome in many countries that are otherwise hostile to the gospel. The passion, the joy, the fervency, even the music that they play has opened doors for the gospel into places that have previously been very hard to reach. Comibam, the Latin American mission-sending movement, is ambitious and moving forward in mobilizing many more. We can talk about the Philippines and Indonesia as well. The redemptive gifts that they have in serving many of the wealthier nations as domestic workers, as nurses, as seafarers, as engineers, as nannies. God puts them in places of influence within homes of cultures and nationalities that I as a white Westerner or as many of my African or East Asian friends could never get. They have access to children and wives who might otherwise be shielded and sheltered away from the gospel message. And they are taking this reality and beginning to grab hold of it with the Philippines Mission Association and other groups training domestic workers in missiology and in sharing the gospel, sending them and commissioning them into these countries so that they can win those people for who they work for the gospel. Amazing. Of course, as we've already heard, possibly... Okay, this is where I tear up. One of the most amazing moves of God. 100,000 is the vision of Back to Jerusalem. To send 100,000 tent-making kingdom workers intentionally into the nations that lie south and west of them, going all the way, completing the circle back to Jerusalem. If any church in the world today is equipped to suffer and endure in these hard places, it's the Chinese church. And last and certainly not least, our amazing African brothers and sisters reaching into 
well, you can see where the arrow goes, and to other places as well. I'm so thankful in Europe that we have about 600,000 African Christians in the continent where I live. The biggest churches, the fastest growing churches in Europe are almost all planted by African believers. So praise God for them. They have the ability to persevere, to assimilate, to just adapt to the culture and to get into places where I never thought they could get. And let's not talk about how they get there sometimes. But, you know, the amazing thing is I I appreciate the Nigerian spirit so much because they have this 50-15 vision, 50,000 missionaries into those areas but within 15 years. And now they're beginning to call it back to Jerusalem as well because they want to go to that region. And and all I can say is that if I'm an unbeliever in Jerusalem, I would be very worried right now. (laughs) The Chinese coming from one way, the Nigerians and others coming from the other. I don't think they stand a chance. And so, what lies before us? What remains to be done? The task remaining. First, we can talk in the most obvious terms. We can see the regions of the world that are controlled and dominated by faiths that don't confess Christ as Savior. And it's, it's very clearly from a geographical perspective. It's also very clear from a population perspective. You can see where those dots are condensed and clustered tightly. Those are the places where the lost souls live today. The unreached, very much the same places as where those religions have their heartlands and their strongholds. Interesting that if you take raw numbers, that little cluster of countries right there represents the majority of people who have never heard the gospel. Just those six countries. We're talking about hundreds of millions of people, the 10 countries with the greatest unreached populations today or unevangelized populations, strategic places. And of course, the reality is every single human being who has a physical or a spiritual need is a valid mission field for those who want to incarnate the love of Christ, regardless of where they live. But in terms of numbers, you can see where the concentrations lie. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And just in terms of those nations, you can see the challenge in terms of hundreds of millions. However, the word that Jesus used, he wasn't talking about the UN. He wasn't talking about geopolitical entities, the lines drawn on a map by European powers in the late 19th century. Jesus was talking, when he used that word, about ethnic identity, peoples. And there you see the same map looking at the ethno-linguistic peoples who live in those areas. Suddenly, our job has become a lot more complex and a lot more challenging. And so we got to talk about unreached peoples. And there you can see thousands of them spanning every religious movement in the world today. And in fact, also uh, many who are non-religious as well. And so the challenge doesn't lie within one faith or within one place. It's in fact a global challenge. And here you can see, interesting, those same five countries are the five countries where the most unreached peoples reside today. And so you can see this concentration of humanity right in that corridor of nations there. So strategic and therefore so amazing that we see the work of God in places like India, China, and Nepal, and elsewhere. 
they are crucial to reaching their own nations. Hidden peoples who live in their midst, who might otherwise be hard to identify. The Hui people of China. They practice another faith than the majority. You can see by the images which they most likely practice. Requiring a specific strategy and method of outreach in order to bring the gospel in a meaningful way to them. The Fulani people, the nomadic pastoralists of the Sahel, Central and West Africa, the, the well-known custodians of Islam in this region, highly influential throughout that region of Africa, requiring a unique strategy, an oral strategy, a, a mobile Christianity to follow them as they move around. The Marsh Arabs, most of us will never have heard of Marsh Arabs before. They've existed since the time of Nebuchadnezzar, hiding in the marshes, building their homes out of the reeds that grow there. They were almost eradicated during the time of Saddam Hussein as he tried to drain the marshes, destroy their way of life, still virtually untouched by the gospel today, even though they've existed as a people for thousands of years. And so we need to address the issue not just of strategic peoples, but the issue of the imbalanced sending that occurs in the world today. Here is a, a breakdown of the world population. And you can see there, about 27% of planet Earth is still, after 20 centuries of the gospel, by and large unevangelized. Now, when you think of where we would send our missionaries to, you believe it should be reflected by that. But you can see that we actually only send a tiny proportion of our foreign missionaries, people who leave their country into another country to share the gospel. One out of 40 actually goes to the unevangelized world. You can see the places where the, the missionary presence is very limited. Less than 20 in those red countries. Less than 20 missionaries per million residents. And in some of these areas or countries or faith groups, less than three missionaries per Per million people. Imagine if you were a missionary and you were responsible for the reaching of 280,000 unevangelized people. That is the task in the big scale that many face today. And we have to talk about strategic issues as well. The reality, and thankfully, in, partly in due to the confessions of the Lausanne movement and the papers they've produced, we understand that the gospel is not just about words and a conversion. It's about transformation. It's about holism. It's about changing not just people's hearts, but changing their lives, changing their situation in terms of justice, in terms of poverty, in all of these areas. We need to be aware of this. There are strategic issues that have to be addressed if we're going to be effective. One of them is the issue of children. Much of the world's population today are children. And we know that, in reality, the majority of people who come to faith in Christ do so before they are grown up. The concept of the 4-14 window between the ages of 4 and 14, when they are most responsive. Many of these unevangelized populations in the world are a majority of people under 15 years old. If we can't reach children, then we will never reach the world with the gospel. And so we must think strategically about this issue. We must also think strategically about the issue of poverty. Again, reflected in where the population of the unevangelized are. Brutal, hopeless 
pressing poverty in many parts of the world today? How can we possibly share the love of Jesus without changing their lives in a meaningful physical sense, transforming the situations that address these issues? And there's one group called the Micah Challenge, which has issued a call for justice to address the issues of injustice in the world so that just like our God did through the prophets, we can talk about spirituality but it cannot be detached from the issues of justice and economic finance and all of these other issues as well. Another huge strategic issue is that of refugees, that of immigrants, that of internally displaced people, the hundreds of millions who have been driven from their homes for one reason or another. Again, many of them children. The suffering that they endure, the hopelessness that they have to live through. How can we as believers bring light and hope into these situations? And we're thankful that already the church is beginning to address these needs very effectively. But there's still so much more to do. I think of the refugee highway partnership that exists. Here we see the nomadic pastoralists, just one cultural or social expression. People who don't live in one place. They move from place to place following their food following the work that they have, following the opportunities. They, they share the gospel or they share their own stories in an oral sense, not in a written down sense. They don't think that a church that has four walls and stays in one place is valid for them. How can we transmit the faith of the nomads, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who followed their own herds around to these people who still need the gospel? And there are many, many other issues as well. We think about AIDS, and the massive challenge that that is today. The issue of the environment and ecology and how Christians need to be stewards. They should be at the forefront of stewardship of the earth today. How do we reach the rich? How do we reach politicians and the intelligentsia? How do we specifically reach women? You think about this issue. Majority of the unevangelized population in the world today are women. In fact, the majority of foreign missionaries in the world today are also women, and that has almost always been the case. And so I say, I think we need to see more women here. And I don't say that as a single man. I say that in the reality that, the, that kingdom work is being done by women more than it is done by men. Actually, on a short tangent, I have a funny little story. When I was in Malaysia, I was, I was talking with someone, uh, a non-believer, just having a friendly chat, and they asked me if I was married. And so I just showed them my hands. I have no ring. And I just, I just did this because language was a bit of a difficulty. No ring. I thought that meant no marriage. And um, they said, oh, congratulations, five children. Well done. <laughs> Maybe unbelievers prophesy, I don't know. So, in conclusion, this is what we have to do, people. And um, you've seen it's a massive task ahead of us. It's a huge job. The reason why the unevangelized are unevangelized today is because they have been the hardest to reach. They are the hardest to find. They are the most resistant. And they are at the center of spiritual strongholds that exist today that oppose the presence of the gospel. It's not going to be an easy task. And therefore, we need to think about how we're going to deal with this First of all, we need to look at our priorities. 
Is the Great Commission still at the forefront of the church's agenda today? I hope that after this meeting this week, that we can say yes. Mobilizing. Uh, a number I heard recently is only one out of a hundred believers has any meaningful involvement in the Great Commission. Only one out of a hundred. And yet, think of what God is doing through His people in all, in all of the earth. Imagine the difference that could be made if we can shift that one to two out of a hundred. A negligible shift, and yet it would double the resources financially, spiritually, human resources, prayer, to get the job done. Let's mobilize. If there's one thing we can do when we go back home, even if we don't do anything else, let's mobilize others to become part of the Great Commission. Sacrifice. We think about some of the churches in the world today where people lose their lives. If we're really going to see the job get done, our prospects, our careers, our finances, our time, sometimes even our relationships, and occasionally our very lives need to be put on the altar before God and given over to Him. Are we willing to do that? And are we willing to ask that others do it as well? A tough question. Partnership. As, as Ramez already shared last night, true collaboration is going to yield incredible fruit. First of all, partnership between the people who pray, the people who send, the people who train, the people who go. Also, partnership to reach these groups. Thank God there's already a Fulani network committed to bringing the gospel into the Fulani people. There's already a Marsh Arab prayer network in existence, and they've already made field trips into that area to reach those folks with the gospel. Partnership between the West and the majority world. And in fact, I would even say a servant attitude on our part as we can serve and resource the places and the churches and the leaders today who are really on the leading edge. And in fact, very often they're not people who will ever be at these kinds of conferences. Unity as a deliberate expression of the body of Christ. The power of multicultural teams. What better way to show the gospel is valid than to see it on the ground being practiced by a Brazilian and a German and a South African and a Nigerian and a Korean and a Norwegian and a New Zealander all together. If someone sees that happening next door to them, how can they but say, surely this is something I have to consider as well. And the power of united prayer. I think of that video we saw, the global day of prayer. Hundreds of millions of believers praying for the world all on the same day. And therefore, I'd like to say that prayer is the final issue. If we don't have prayer, we won't get anything done. A, really, a quote that is, has really affected me, and in fact, is the motto of Operation World. When man works, man works. But when man prays, God works. We can strategize. We can harmonize. We can talk together. We can dialogue. We can worship. We can have the best financial resources available. Without prayer, those strongholds will never be broken down. Those peoples will never be receptive to the gospel. And God's kingdom will never come. And he said, by prayer, this is going to happen. He's promised us the nations. And so now I think is a very appropriate time to go to prayer. 
I'd just like to say, Speaker's Corner is on Thursday if you have any questions. There were many resources that were used to make this presentation, and they're all available in one way or another for you. And I'm very open to any questions that anyone has, any disagreements, criticisms. Tell me about what's happening in your country, and you can reach me for the rest of this conference or indeed at any other time. But the most important thing right now is the fact that we need to do what we're talking about and go to prayer. So let's begin to lift up the nations of the world into the care of the Lord Jesus. Mark, take over. Do you feel like you have a clearer picture? And did you take notes? Have you got your notes? I was particularly impressed by the, um, the churches of Africa, of Asia, and of Latin America taking the gospel to the unevangelized world and, and, um, and into Europe. But what about you? Did you make some notes? Have you got your own prayer points? Because if there's 600... If there's 600 of us here and we've got three each, that's a lot of prayer points. That's more than we can put up on the overhead screens. And can I just ask, are you willing to stay a bit longer? Yeah? Are you willing to stay and pray? Because, um, you know, this challenge before us um, is great. When will the Father be satisfied that we've done enough? Have you thought about that? As... as um, one of the verses that, that Jason said was Revelation um, chapter 7, verse 9. Uh, that there will be worshippers in heaven from every nation, tribe, people and language. And we're going to give you a computer CD at the end of this, which will list the unreached people groups with 100,000 or more people. Because even though this list is getting shorter, for the... Let me see here. For the Kuka people of Chad, 135,000 of them, there's no scripture, no Jesus film, no radio, Christian radio, no gospel recording, no churches and no believers. Does anyone want some of the, Can someone come out the front? Just grab this from me. You can use that in your prayer time. So you're off the hook. <laughs> you can hand out some more pages of that to other groups if you want to once we, once we, um, start, once we go to prayer. Is one or two from every people group, or, or, or even a hundred, enough? God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, is that all peoples of earth will be blessed for you, as Jesus used the word ethne. In the Hebrew, way back then, the word was mishpaha, meaning extended families or clans. Does that expand the task even more? It's just when we thought that we only had to reach people groups. That the, 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 the blessing, the promise to Abraham, was for every family. We know that God's not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And Abraham didn't see that in his lifetime, but he understood generational blessing. And I hope we can get a better understanding of that as we pray. Another way of understanding the size of the role is to look at the, um, the role of preparation for, for Jesus' second coming from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 to 5. I'm not going to read all this out now, but are, are there any engineers in the room? Does that sound like a, 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 a big task? I'm a road engineer. You're a road engineer in Afghanistan. Are there, are there being every mountain and hill being made low and every valley being raised up sound like um, that the prophecy is trying to describe something big? <laughs> Sounds very big to me. 
But the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. That's a promise. That was a fantastic presentation, very concise and very clear. Uh, and now we know uh, what's left uh, to be done in world evangelization, reaching all the peoples of the world. So I hope you enjoyed that and that you can listen to that over and over again and tell your friends about it uh, because it will help to build strategies for reaching out to the unreached parts of the world. It's got a lot of missiological implications there. That concludes this uh, latest episode of God Network News. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got information to give you on how you can sign up for some of the features of God Network News and help us out to help you. We want to remind all of you that we do have a phone number here in the United States that you can call for free. It's uh, area code 206-350-7001 and you can leave us a voice message on that or you can go right to our website that is at podomatic.com and that's uh, godnews.podomatic.com and if you go to that website can also record a comment just by clicking on record a comment and you can also join our mailing list which we would really like and you can also send us an email at godnews at podomatic.com and make sure please that you click on the vote for us at godcast1000.com and some of the other podcast search engines that are there. Please vote for us. We appreciate your loyalty to keep coming back to us and keep downloading uh, these episodes. And we trust that they'll be a continued blessing to you.